Hey, Taisei. Hey, Alex. How does it feel to be back on Sunday? It feels like home, as they say. Yeah. Actually, it feels like we, we recorded so recently because we did Tuesday last week that I almost totally forgot we were slated to record today. Um, but despite the brief window, there has, of course, been much that happened. Uh, and I would like to begin by saying my theory was totally wrong. Uh, I thought that despite all the the crazy action on the trade side of things that was going on prior to the deadline day, that the day itself would still be quite eventful, that there would be surprises for teams who had missed out on the big guns and still wanted to make an addition. Uh, And that was totally false. There were only 19 deals, and I would say maybe two of them were exciting. And the most interesting part of the day was a trade that almost happened but didn't. Are you referring to the JT Miller rumors or... Something oh, else. I'm referring to the James Van Riemsdyk situation. <laughs> you know, I didn't even keep track of that James. I just know that he wasn't traded from Philadelphia. Was there some sort oh, of drama? Oh, did you not see? I, I, I missed yeah, the drama. Yeah, you didn't see the drama? No, I didn't see the drama. Oh, okay. So I guess we'll start the show by explaining the James Van Riemsdyk drama. So it's about, I don't know, it's like minutes before the deadline, 250-something. Elliot Friedman reports, sounds like James Van Riemsdyk's getting traded to the Red Wings. Uh, and then other all the other, you know, the most trusted insiders start saying the same thing. Chris Johnston, all these people. So it's like, you know, at that point, we can pretty much guarantee it's happening. And then a few minutes pass. Chris Johnston says, uh, it turns out James Van Riemsdyk is not getting traded to the Detroit Red Wings after all. And then the other insiders start agreeing with him, too. Um, so basically what had happened, Detroit and Philly were basically seconds away from, you know, filing the trade or seconds is maybe an exaggeration they were really about to and for either it was maybe a miscommunication on the trade details or stevie y just changed his mind uh and if he did then that would be a but the correct thing to do but that's a separate story just changed his mind and detroit backed out of the deal and it was 2 57 p.m at that point and philly didn't have time to turn around and trade him anywhere else wow Hey, I got screwed over in a major way. Philly did. Because, uh, yeah, now they're left. He's a UFA, right? Is he? Yep. Okay, so now they're left with this guy on their roster who theoretically could have garnered some sort of assets. They have no bag. So, fat L for the Philadelphia Flyers. It's rough. Did he see Chuck Fletcher's quote about it afterward? Oh, no. I did not. What did he say? Was he he said, the market spoke and it wasn't to be. <laughs> Wow, this motherfucker, he doesn't take accountability for anything, does he? Oh, boy. Yeah, it's all the it's, market's it's fault. All, it's a market. It's market economics. The pressure, I couldn't do anything about it. You know? It just... You know, I think what we said last episode really applies here. It's not a buyer's market or a seller's market. It's a smart person's market. <laughs> yeah. And Chuck Fletcher, not being a smart person, the market simply wasn't in his favor. So, you know what? He was right. He was, he was completely right. <laughs> yes, bang on. <laughs> it's just the, the market will never be for him. But yeah, I don't think he knows that. <laughs> but at least his yeah. analysis in this instance, you know what? I could agree with Chuck Fletcher. Uh, even if it's yeah, like a broken clock him. situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So shall we talk about some trades that actually did happen? Um, sure. Let's roll. Where shall we begin? All right. So, so many. let's start with one uh, that happened. I'd say maybe about an hour or less after we stopped recording last week, the report that Patrick came to New York, uh, was officially going to happen. It just had to wait until after 5 PM that day to be cap compliant. Um, so that's what it was. Patrick Kane, double retention with, uh, Arizona, all that. 
um, like we saw coming. And the return in the end uh, was a fourth round pick and a second that can turn into a first if the Rangers make round three. Uh, I'd say this is probably in line with uh, with what I expected. Yeah. Um, you know, Pat, you know, came clearly leverages his uh, no movement clause uh, where, yeah, he only wanted to go to New York. Everybody knew at that point. And if you're in Chicago, obviously, if you, you compare it to the beginning of the season, maybe not the return that you would have wished, uh, only really a second and a fourth, given that the odds that New York makes it all the way to the, you know, the conference final, they're okay, but not something you can count on. At that point, that first becomes quite late anyways. Um, but yeah, on the, on the Rangers side of things, I think we talked about it last week because we we had, we had a feeling this would be the outcome. Um, but yeah, you know, the yet another piece falls right into the Rangers' lap. They get this guy for, you know, what is a discount, even if he might be cooked. Um, but yeah, this team just gets older too. So we'll see if, you know, maybe with a better surrounding cast out in New York compared to Chicago, he'll do better. But, you know, barring the last two weeks, he has looked completely cooked. So we'll see if he has the impact that they wish. Yeah, I mean, early returns aren't great. Um, since he got to New York, he has played two games, zero points, minus four. Uh, yeah, so I, of course it is only two games, but I will say these two games don't appear to be an anomaly when you look at the entirety of Patrick Kane's season. Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, as, as good of a price that they, they might have paid to Chicago, he, he straight up might not contribute much if he's not very good at all, uh, which, you know, I would love to see. Yeah, I've been kind of, you know, something you said earlier this year about the Rangers, about why does everyone buy into the hype? Um, and I feel like that's just been amplified even more after the Tarasenko trade and the Kane trade. Because Tarasenko and Kane, you know, they're both, you know, big recognizable star names that are kind of, you know, past their prime uh, or very past their prime in Kane's case. And all of it, it was like the main thing everyone was talking about was, look how incredible the Rangers forwards are now. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's a good team. Uh, but like everyone was talking as if they would like blow like their forwards, blow everyone else's in the East out of the water. And it's like, that's not the case. They have, you know, a good first line, a good second line, a good third line, or a good fourth line, you know, but it's, it's like, yeah, Patrick Kane, Artemi Panarin and Vincent Trocek on your second line. It's like, yeah, it's wow. But it's also, it's just Patrick Kane at age 34. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they are, I would, in terms of roster quality, right now I'd probably take them sixth, you know, out of the big six. I'd take the Bruins, all the three teams in the Atlantic, the Hurricanes, the Devils, before I take the Rangers. So, yeah, I don't get the hype. You know, yeah, are they a playoff team? Sure. I'll hand them that. You know, I I was wishing earlier in the season that they would miss the thing, but not, not going to happen. But I still think they're a tier below. I think they don't look as cohesive, uh, especially, you know, given that they're, they're old, they're not as fast. Uh, and you got a couple of pieces who are that you added that are on down years, right? So you, can you count on them to be spectacular, to to even re- remotely resemble what they've done in their prime? I don't think so. Um, and you compare that to you know the teams, the five teams above them, and now you're talking those, those are cores, those are four groups that are young, exciting, fast, and only have up to go. Whereas the Rangers, it really doesn't feel that way at all. Yep, um, Chicago on their end of things gets worse. Uh, the other way they get worse, they uh, deal uh, Max Domi to Dallas. Uh, we're not doing a trivia this week, but if we were, I would be curious to know how many players in Chicago's lineup you could name. <laughs> not many. I'll tell you that. I, I saw the I saw the lineup yesterday, 
and I still don't know. Like, I still don't remember most of them. I just remember looking at somebody on the first, on the second line, and like, I have no idea who this guy is, and he's playing regular minutes in the top six. Um, Was that Cole Gutman? Yeah, that sounds about right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is right now. Especially, I think a really way to kind of encapsulate all of this, because as it stands, Chicago has like four fourth lines, um, if we're being generous, and uh, they have no injuries to their defense at all. Despite that, Jared Tenorti is on the second pair with Connor Murphy. <laughs> this is the state of things. Jared Tenorti is a top four defenseman. It's finally happened at age 31. <laughs> he finally did it, guys. He finally lived up to all the potential. Um yeah, no, this this is this like the worst team we've ever seen on paper? It might be. Holy shit, it's terrible. You kidding me? With Taves injured especially, you know, the top line right now, Lucas Reichel, Philip Kurashev, <laughs> Andreas Athanasiu, and then Tyler Johnson, Cole Gutman, Taylor Radish. I mean, you know, on one hand, it feels like people are saying this every year about some kind of terrible team. But let's also keep in mind, Chicago is not even last place in the NHL right now. Uh, we'll see if things really take a turn here and they funnel themselves below Columbus with the absence of like Kane and Domi. Um, and, you know, they're probably going to be playing Peter Morazic even more than he has been. So I'm curious to see this tank battle unfold over this final month or so. Yeah, How do they win a single game from now on out? You know, like the only way I, you know, I see them not getting that first overall pick with this quality of roster is if they lose all or finishing games, last, but then Columbus, you know, losing all their games too, you know, like, <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I know you're kind of joking. Look at, look at Hockey team. is random enough that it might be like, Oh, uh, Boris Kachuk <laughs> went on a tear and scored eight goals in six games. You know, that type of thing. Oh boy. It's so fucking absurd. Like this team, like if they win the, the moment they win their next game, I will be l- legitimately shocked. All right, and it will be the greatest embarrassment unto that team that that they and you know I'm looking at their schedule right now. Okay, they have the Predators and the Coyotes coming up, so maybe maybe there's your opportunity for a victory. But otherwise, if any of these playoff team or bubble teams you know lose to the Blackhawks, this is the greatest embarrassment. Even if it's random, all right, they just traded away their leading scorer on a team that sucks ass. All right, and and that was Max Domi, and now they traded away Patrick Kane. There's there's no excuse. There's no there are no bright spots on this team. Cannot emphasize that enough. There's nobody good. What did you say they have coming up? Right, they 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 have the Predators and the Coyotes coming up mid March. That's that. There's your okay. It's okay. Okay. So not right away. Like this coming week, they're playing Ottawa, Detroit, Florida, and Tampa. Right. So yeah, this is you know, (laughs) yeah. If Ottawa, I mean Ottawa, with all their kind of you know their hype about oh we're making the playoffs, and I guess now is kind of an accidental transition into the Chickering trade. Uh, but you know, with, if they you know lose to Chicago, that will take. Because I can feel, I always, it's very interesting when you have a team like Ottawa. You know, going into the season, it was oh, you know, challenge for the playoffs. Then they start terribly, and it looks like all is dead. And they you know kind of slowly uh, climb back in. And now they're in striking distance. I'll say, I really don't think they're going to make it. Um, and especially the other thing is with Ottawa, the Hamburglar memory is still kind of you know a relatively recent thing. So that's something that, you know, gives all the fans hope eternally. Um, and and yet, I know from experience, even like, you know, as having been like a Canadians fan, that when you have a team like this on the outside looking in and kind of clawing back, all it takes is like one bad, bad game and the balloon totally deflates. Um, so that's a game I'm keeping an eye on, Ottawa versus Chicago tomorrow for that reason. Um, but I mean, 
even even if they don't make the playoffs, uh, I think they made out very well on the J- Jacob Chikrin trade. Um, it's going to be you know a pretty high pick, uh, especially if they don't make the playoffs. But similar to like the seventh overall pick they gave up for Debrinket, and that trade was rightfully praised. This deal, this pick will probably be what around I don't know twelfth overall, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, somewhere in that range. Uh, plus. Uh, what what was two second round picks yep. for someone who I honestly believe is a number one defenseman, meaning Ottawa now has two of them. Yeah, no, uh, you could you 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 include the cost of the fact that they're probably not going to make the playoffs. This is in all likelihoods a flash in the pan that they can't keep up. Um, and you know, there's a whole bunch of teams in the mix. You pointed out before we started recording, the Senators have a crazy schedule. Uh, once they you know. After this, this next couple of weeks, they got you know some easy targets, but after that, they're in for a tough stretch. So you know, as hopeful as I am, having picked them prior to the season to make the playoffs, not not totally optimistic. But besides that, because Chickering is signed for two years after this one, um, this is is a bargain. It's a bargain fucking trade for a for a defenseman as quality, uh, the quality of Jacob Chickering for a need as big as Ottawa had on that defense um, to be able to fill it like this. Is, is wild um, with only a first and two seconds. I mean, on the Arizona side of things, this is such a fucking massive L. Um, they, they negotiated themselves out of their pants. Uh, this, is, this is a complete... They, they tanked it. They, they, they blew it um, because they had all these suitors lining up. They had the Kings. They had all, all these teams and whatnot, and rightfully so. And yet they chased them away. And, you know, when the Kings went and got, like, fucking Corpusalo and Gavrikov. And that was a mistake on them. But Arizona not being able to keep them in there, I think the point that uh, I forget who their general manager is, but he really like emphasized like, oh, we it was a big win for us not having to retain salary. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? How are you <laughs> not willing to retain salary on this guy to get a better offer? And instead, they chase them away, and now they get this you know this frankly mediocre return for a bona fide number one franchise defenseman who's under a, a great contract for the next two years. It's insane to me. Um, how they they bungled this so hard um, because you ask me they should have gotten so much more for Jacob Chikrin than what the Senators ended up paying. Yeah, this trade is a great microcosm of why the Arizona Coyotes are never going to be any good as long as things stay as they are. Uh, which is you know you finally have you know one player you drafted you developed uh, achieved his full potential asks for a trade out. Uh, and then you you get some picks that aren't as valuable as the player is, and it's this constant recycling of selling hope and selling the future. And you know, at some point, hope is going to run dry, um, because I I think I compare this to the Dougie Hamilton trade when he went from Boston to Calgary, um, which was like you know, Boston, oh we got you know a first and two seconds for this great young defenseman who was like 22 years old but like didn't fit the culture or, or whatever. And with those picks, they took. Uh, Zach Seneshin, Jacob Forsback Carlson, and Jeremy Lozon. Um, so, you know, not exactly a great showing. Um, and with Arizona, yeah, as you said, you know, um, they fumbled the bag when I don't know what it was that chased the Kings away. Apparently, it was maybe some kind of leak that like Brant Clark was involved that they knew came from the Coyote side. So they said, we're not making the deal with you, which, you know, stupid from the Kings point of view, you know, you gotta you add Jacob Chicken to your team, and if, even if you're mad at the team you're trading with, um, but also for the Coyotes, you know, the, to be that careless. If you know that that's gonna chase the Kings away, you gotta be more careful about that. So I mean, really, just uh, 
a major L all around. And to that point about, I hadn't seen that quote about, oh, it's great we didn't have to retain salary. Just showed like a total like disconnect from the fan base. Because like, especially for a team who's nowhere close to the cap, um, to say that salary retention is like a major sticking point. It's just uh, to really say the, you know, the quiet part out loud of that this is really more of a financial operation than anything, um, which, you know, I guess, you know, obviously is true for, for every team. But uh, when a team is close to the cap, it makes sense to be talking about salary retention, what you can do, what you can't do. For the Coyotes, it's really a different different story. Yeah, it's insane. It's not like they're unwilling to retain, right? They're, they're out here retaining on like the Kane trade, you know, sure, like they, they got the round pick for that. And so, you know, we waited like, what, a year and a bit. With, with Chikrin in the rumor mill with his trade request. And we're like waiting, we're waiting. You know, Arizona, they're just waiting for the perfect trade. They're waiting for the perfect offer. They're going to get this crazy haul. And all this at the end of the day for one first and two seconds, that is, that's, that's so underwhelming. Um, and yeah, they, they definitely could have gotten more, but they just completely bungled the negotiations to the point where they were standing around and nobody wanted to trade for him anymore. The market had dried up and good for Ottawa, you know, being patient kind of sticking with it, but not caving uh, to whatever demands they had. And they gave up a very, very reasonable price uh, for Jacob Trickren. That's it's unbelievable. I mean, you should you look at the need that Ottawa has at defense, and you should be completely extorting them for a piece like Jacob Trickren, and yet you're you're they're paying below market value. It's nuts. Yep. We had the summer of Pierre, and now we have the, uh, the late winter of Pierre. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The team might have sucked up until the, like maybe like five games ago, but to his credit, he's making the the smart moves. And now next on the docket is let's see if he can sign, you know, to bring Cat to a reasonable contract. Yep. Um. Let's talk about the other team in Ontario that made a whole slew of moves after we stopped recording on Tuesday, um, which you know were exciting, but which looking in hindsight now that. I'm glad that we have a chance to see all that happen and then see the Leafs did nothing else until the deadline except trade Dryden Hunt for Radim Zahorna. Um, And to say that on those those three trades, the the Rasmus Sandin to Washington for Eric Gustafson in a first, the Pierre Engvall to the Islanders for a third, and the third to Vancouver for Luke Shen, I think that whole amalgamation uh, was a failure. I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion, um, but especially seeing as they didn't turn around and like, you know, turn those assets into something else. Looking at the the makeup of of the Leafs roster and where their strengths and weaknesses are, I don't understand much of that. And it seems to be mainly clap cap clearing purposes in order to activate Matt Murray off LTIR instead of just leaving him there, have Samsonov and Wool ride you to the playoffs and then bring Matt Murray back in the in the playoffs um, and have a stronger team for having done so. Yeah, no, I, I over the, the moves in themselves in a vacuum aren't terrible, right? Uh, but it's you know the opportunity cost. They could have they could have you know gone more. They they had the assets uh, to make it happen. They had the cap space with Murray on LTIR uh, to to add another piece, and yet you know they kept that first round pick that they got in the Gustafson trade um, that belongs to Boston. Like what, what what's the point of that? You know it, you, you say you want to go all in. You have some cap space to work with. Um, and yet, you know, your additions are like, what, fucking big, strong Luke Shen back to Toronto. Uh, and you ship out Pierre Engvall because it's a spare part at this point. Like, it does feel like there, there's more that could have been done. And considering the, the rest of the conference where people did that, 
it does feel underwhelming a bit if you're Toronto uh, sitting there with, you know, O'Reilly and McCabe and Lafferty were decent additions, but it feels like they still could have done more in the year where, you know, it's so imperative that you win at least one round. Yeah, what's really odd to me is after, you know, this all shook out, uh, Toronto, I would say, has like 12 NHL forwards and 10 NHL defensemen, um, which is, you know, a clear imbalance. I mean, just like say say we take injuries out of the equation Toronto has, you know, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, O'Reilly, Kerfoot, Bunting, Yarncroke, Kampf, Achari, Lafferty, and Aston Reese. That's 12 forwards. And you look beyond that on the depth chart, it's like Pontus Holmberg, Wayne Simmons, Bobby McMahon, Alex Steves, you know, not so much insurance or at least no experience insurance. Meanwhile, on defense, it's it's Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Mark Giordano, Jake McCabe, Luke Shen, Justin Hall, Timothy Lilligren, Eric Gustafson, Connor Timmins, Jordy Ben. It was kind of, you know, embarrassment of riches of like number five defensemen. Or you know that that type of range, and that's why I was so sure that like they were gonna maybe flip Gustafson and the pick for you know a forward to kind of maybe replace Engvall up front, who's a little bit cheaper, and that's especially the flipping of Engvall and like using that asset or a, a relatively equal asset to get Luke Shen. It was like you're removing from your weakness, which is forward depth, and adding to a strength, which is defensive defensive depth and just saving a bit on the cap it didn't make much sense to me no it doesn't uh it it does feel like yeah they're 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 not addressing the need and now they're kind of thin and forward moving forward and you have all these defensemen who you know you got 10 guys you know you're not going to play them all right uh and you know it's it's good to have depth you go on a deep playoff run there's lots of guys that you know get injured and whatnot uh but it does feel like it does leave you thin at forward right um and yeah all this all this to activate Matt Murray. I, you know, and still goaltending moving forward, still that question mark, right? Um, where, you know, do you trust Matt Murray? Do you trust Samsonov? Not really, especially if you look at, you know, the other teams in this, in this their division and their conference who, you know, have bona fide number one goaltenders uh, on, on great seasons. It, it just, it still feels quite precarious if you believe. Yeah, I mean, I think, Kyle Dubas took what would have been a home run deadline if he had just kind of left it be after let it be after those two trades, and if he just let left Matt Murray on LTIR and kind of you know put this little little question mark this little stain on it. We'll see how we'll see how things shake out, and it hasn't been such a a great start. I mean Eric Gustafson, of course, you know he actually as soon as they acquired him became the highest scoring defenseman on the the Leafs this year with thirty eight points. Um, but, you know, everyone kind of knows from experience with Eric Gustafson that he is uh, a terrible defenseman. And even in his, like, first showing against the – first showing on the Leafs, there have been, there were several instances the Leafs fans are pointing out of him, you know, not being able to play pucks cleanly, just defending po- poorly, par for the course. Yeah, exactly. No, he's he's very one, one-sided defenseman who's having a great season. Um, but, you know, still very much flawed. At someone you want to keep lower down in your lineup. And as for, you know, as for Washington, getting Sandine, uh, yeah, seems like a quite quite a smart bet. You consider that the first round pick is probably going to be very near, you know, the end of the, the round because it's Boston's. Um, Sandine has played really well, just hasn't, like, in his minutes that he's gotten, he just hasn't gotten enough minutes. 
because it's so crowded up there in Toronto. Uh, and given the trades of like you know McCabe, he was gonna he wasn't he wasn't going anywhere fast. Um, so you know he's only twenty two. I thought he was older than twenty two. He'll have plenty of opportunity in Washington, who you know have basically nobody signed on that defense. Actually, they have Carlson and they just signed Nick Jensen. So there's a there's another piece of Washington news. Three years, four and four million dollars. Um, so yeah, I think he should get finally get the opportunity that he you know so desires. You know he held out and whatnot uh, near the beginning of the season in Washington. I think it's a smart bet if you're Washington to uh, yeah maybe you got a top four guy moving forward. Yeah, I never understood why Toronto never really seemed to like Rasmus Sandin. Like he he showed all the signs of you know someone who's capable of playing in the top four, getting moved up the lineup. Uh, really just a strong all around player. And Washington, you know, they get him right away. He goes on the first pairing. I don't know if you saw, he got three assists in his first game. Yeah. Broke some kind of Washington record for, like, points by a defenseman in Capitals debut, something like that, you know. And I really like Washington, even if they plan on having him on, like, the top pairing or, you know, at least the top four moving forward, which I think is their plan. Like, I don't really see any reason or sign in his game previously why he wouldn't be able to to rise to that challenge yeah everything in his game up to this point has indicated that he deserves a promotion right in terms of his role um and it's just that toronto hasn't been able to give it to him because it's you know it's so stacked on that depth chart but b they just didn't seem like they wanted to commit to him like if they wanted to they could have uh and so yeah they washington seems to have picked out that in their inefficiency there and you get plenty of opportunity in washington and I fully anticipate he, he will succeed because all signs point to this guy's a very competent top four defenseman. You know what? I think Leafs fans on the other side of things should be concerned with the fact that since this slew of moves, Timothy Lilligren has been healthy scratched twice and that Sheldon Keefe is maybe, you know, having the likes of Luke Shen and Eric Gustafson wedge, them, wedge Lilligren out of the lineup. Yikes. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's not A, that's not good for, you know, keeping his value up in the long term and B, it might just be the wrong decision. Um, yep. You know, like I, he's just a straight up better defenseman than fucking Luke Shen and Eric Gustafson. So is and Justin he Hall. suffering from veteran brain? Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, Sheldon Keefe. Sure. Maybe seems like it. And if he's suffering from veteran brain now, God knows he'll suffer it in the playoffs, right? Where, you know, everything's tighter and yep. you can't make those mistakes and whatnot. You, if you if you if you want to run him out now's the, if you want to run out Lilligren and have him have a go now's the time to do it not they're not going to put him in cold in the playoffs so it concerning certainly yep we'll see where that goes uh what do you what did you think of the Leafs fans uh getting all misty eyed over the return of Luke Shen after oh. over ten years <laughs> who gives a shit that's what I say um, <laughs> <laughs> I was mean, like man yeah <laughs> like how long was he there like three years. Uh, three or four, three and a half, something like that. Oh, but it's all you know. He was kind of he was heralded as like you know this safer defenseman of the franchise, and with like a lot of pressure on him, that type of thing. And he wasn't get JVR for him. He wasn't that and he guy. Wasn't, <laughs> Straight up wasn't he that wasn't, guy. But now the whole now the whole like I don't know Shakespearean narrative is he gets uh, to like return and triumph at the age of whatever thirty three. Fucking depth defenseman. You know, odds were he was gonna come around in his big you know end of career journey around the tubes that. He comes around to one of the teams he's come back to before. So, I don't know, whatever. You know, you want to make a big story out of it? I don't give a rat's ass. Uh, sure. He, he can cry all he wants. He can, you know, enjoy Toronto. Good for I him. Th- I don't think he cried. Oh, he didn't cry? Okay. So then what's everybody crying about? I don't understand. Huh? 
No, because it's like, oh, he returned. It's emotional. Now that the team's good, he can play. He can win the Stanley Cup with us. That type of thing. Okay. Well, you know, he, I'm more emotional about the Jacob Chickren thing, who he seems legitimately happy. He's got the whole family there and everything. Better fit than fucking Luke Shen, who's like their ninth defenseman. All right. <laughs> he is literally listed on the on the pair with Morgan Riley right now. Top pairing Luke Shen. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Maybe he is their savior then. After all. Yeah, that's the state of things in Toronto. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, boy. You know what other Canadian team acquired a defenseman? Which one? The Oilers. Oh, they did. That's right. Yeah, this was a big one. And this is my favorite type of deadline deal. Because uh, it's, you know, it's no one really sees it coming until it's, oh, quiet, you know, teams are talking about Matias at home. Oh, boom. It's happened. And it's a big one. Uh, and we had talked about Nashville. And they extended at home. We were like, what are you doing? You should be rebuilding. You should be selling. Now you've just locked in at home long term. Uh, well, it turns out they were able to sell him anyway and get quite a decent haul. Tyson, Tyson Berry was part of the return. Um, but I think the main things Nashville uh, was interested in were uh, the first round pick and Reed Schaefer, who was picked with the final selection of the first round this past draft. Um, and at home, still a really great player right now. For Edmonton and their cup aspirations, I would say he's exactly what they need. Uh, the concern is the $6 million AAV for three years after this one. And that is with 4% retention by Nashville. <laughs> Don't forget. Um, so at the age 32, the concern is that he will decline. But for this very second right now, I think he's exactly what the Oilers were looking for. Yeah, first of all, credit to David Poyle. Yet again, yet proving his, his massive brain, seeing this years like a year in advance that he was going to trade at home. For a great return, um, and so you just yeah. had to extend, just had to yeah, had to extend him. Um, so yeah, in that respect, it worked out for Nashville. It's a great return, you know. Tyson Berry's whatever; he's just a cap dump. But yeah, it's, it's Schaefer. Schaefer's an okay prospect. Not in love with him, um, but the first round pick is nice. And for an asset who was aging, who did not fit the long term uh, plan for the Predators, good that they a offloaded him, but b at a time before. He his his you know value dipped off his play dipped off, and you know they actually managed to get a decent haul. Um, for the Oilers, yeah, this is uh they're a complete fucking train wreck defensively. Honestly, they were still a train wreck last night against the Jets. Um, but at least Ekholm, he's an addition to directly address that issue. Um, so yeah, I mean now's the time to win. You got you got dry side, you got McDavid, obviously, you got to go all in. And this, let me not fixes, but addresses. Um like maybe the number one issue with their play currently. Yeah. And it's a better fix than going to add, you know, some kind of Cody CC or Brett Kulak equivalent. You know, this is a, a difference maker as a player. Yeah. This is, this is, if you want a defensive defense, you know, guy who ups out on defense, this is the guy to get Um, with respect to other dudes who are out there. You know, you don't want to go out there paying through the nose for Vladislav Gavrikov. They didn't do that. So, you know, hats off to him. They also got Nick Bukestad um, from Arizona for a third-round pick. Yeah, at half retained. And Michael Kesselring. That's right. That's a, that's he was a, already th- on the Coyotes. That's not a nothing. They <laughs> called him up immediately. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's another, you know, in terms of helping the defensive side of things, a decent bottom six addition there. Uh, he isn't terrible offensively. He's just... No, more defensively focused, and that's what they need. So overall, decent deadline for the Oilers, and uh, it seems that 
you know, for once, they seem to have identified the problem and maybe actually come up with a solution that wasn't, you know, pea-brained. Yeah, for once, Ken Holland, remember a couple years ago and he was like, oh, you can't go all in every year. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was last year. Um, I'm pretty remember. sure that was yeah. 2021. Okay, well, good thing he's, maybe, you know what, maybe, well, maybe he still holds that value. It's just that he's decided that this year is the year where he goes all in. Next year, don't count on him doing yeah. anything. And you know, if you got if you can only pick a few years to do it, this is definitely one of them because of how wide open the West is. Oh yeah. Um, you know, another Canadian team who acquired a defenseman. <laughs> the Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yes. Why? This is a beauty. If I had to pick, man, one trade to laugh about. <laughs> it's it's got to be the Canucks acquiring Philip Ronick. Now, of course, not so long ago, they traded away Bo Horvat. In a return that some thought was underwhelming, um, they acquired, of course, Anthony Beauvillier, Atu Ratty, and the Islanders' first-round pick. And while I was in defense of the trade from the Canucks' point of view, I said that first-round pick is not just any first-round pick that you'd expect as a, as a selling team. The Islanders uh, may very well miss the playoffs, and that pick, you know, is going to be mid-first round, that type of thing. Uh, and so, you know, Vancouver did pretty well here. But then, they turn around, take that great asset that I praised and loved so much and flipped it to the Detroit Red Wings for Philip Roenick. Uh, Mr. Well, what is he? He's a defenseman. He has, is about to crack his uh, career high in goals and points. So he is, you know, at the peak of his, his value. He's 25 years old. And what did they give up for him? They gave up that first rounder. It's going to be in the middle of the first round of this excellent draft and a second rounder and got back a fourth rounder as part of the package as well. So this is a team that has still not learned his lesson, despite the fact they traded Bo Horvat away. Um, they said, yeah, yeah, we're still, you know, we could be good next year. You know, we're going to we're gonna trade our high picks and bring in uh, this, uh, I guess maybe I'll call him a number two defenseman. I don't even know if maybe that's slightly generous. Uh, and of course, the other big thing people were talking about with this deal is that uh, Vancouver is now already slated to be over the cap next season. Man, on, on so many respects, this trade is just so mind-boggling. All right, it, it's insane. What the hell are they doing here? Um, first of all, yeah, the cap space thing. They have no cap space next year, basically, already. They're sitting at, like, you know, they, they, they have too much cap commitment. What are you doing taking on more cap commitment? For the love of God, all right? And this goes to the, the, more, the broader statement, which is accept for once, please, that you're rebuilding, that you're bad, that maybe you don't need to finish in ninth place every fucking year, all right? Uh, and you don't need to go all in and give up all these assets to, to achieve that great goal. Um, it's it, like we talk about, you know, consistently having no vision. That's Vancouver. They do it over and over again. Every time they make a trade, we talk about that. Uh, it's just, it's crazy, all right? And this is a guy who, you know, is good. But A, you're paying like in a vacuum. This is too much for Philip Ronick. You consider that the first round pick is going to be, you know, around that 15 range. Um, but B, he doesn't fit their contention window at all. And the reason for that is because they don't have a contention window currently uh, because the team sucks. Um, and so, you know, to dish out those kind of futures uh, in such a promising draft for this defenseman, who is going to need a raise after, you know, next year? Um, it's crazy. And it's completely directionless. They're, they're completely confused as to what they're doing. Uh, and here they are, just constantly mortgaging their future uh, 
which is something that good teams, great teams that are in a contending window should do, but they're not even close to that. They're not remotely in that ballpark. And, you know, you talk about, you know, and with that in mind, you know, there's a report out here that they declined a Pittsburgh offering them, you know, a, a draft pick package for JT Miller because it didn't include a player that won on their roster. Yet another fucking insane rumor. I don't know if it's true, but if it is, that's insane. Um, yeah, Vancouver, just just crazy. If you're Detroit, uh, that's that's a nice haul because he is worth more. Like he's not worth. Hornick is not worth the return that they got. So good for them. Yeah, I think specifically with it. <coughs> excuse me, with the JT Miller to Pittsburgh, they said, "Oh, it's a nice offer, but." We need a center. Um, and it's funny because you look at the makeup of, of Vancouver's team right now. They are not very deep at center at all. Their centers are Elias Pedersen, JT Miller. Then they got Niels Aman and Sheldon Dries. Dakota Joshua can play center. Jack Studnika can play center. They can call up Atu Raddy. That's, t- that's kind of you know the makeup of things right now. The problem, though, is who cares? You're bad. Make Niels Amon your second line center for the rest of the season if it means you can get picks for JT Miller. And for this team that, like, they have to know they're not going to make the playoffs, and yet it still feels like they're trying to. It's to, like this year. Like, that's the only way I can possibly rational. Oh, you know, yeah, we could trade JT Miller for picks, but like, let's look at our roster right now. You know, how do we make it as good as we can right now? We need a center to, to come in and replace him. And I actually thought for a second Pittsburgh was about to flick. A flip Nick Benino to the Canucks as part of the JT Miller trade. Now, there's your center, uh, but that is uh, not what ended up happening, unfortunately, for Canucks fans. Yeah, my God. Um, <laughs> Pittsburgh dodging a bullet in a deadline where they took a bunch of them already. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it, the management group is so incompetent in Vancouver. Uh, it's It's baffling. They will never get anywhere good with a this management group but b this ownership um it's what are they doing what do they expect will happen i don't understand you know do they think one day they're gonna wake up and they're gonna have a stanley cup contending team on their hands because they sure as shit ain't building to it uh in the long term uh it's just it's baffling what is i want to know what i want to pick their brain because like what the hell do you think you're doing you you really want to like buy assets to finish in 10th place and 11th place in the conference. And yeah, so not only are they, you know, being mediocre, they're giving up those futures, but also in a, in a season where they're already, you know, out of the playoffs, they're not making it, it's done. They're also, you know, ruining their tank. Uh, they're, they're ruining their draft stock for the upcoming year, not only by trading, like maybe a top 15 pick, but now, you know, maybe you get marginally better and you win a couple more games and now you have a worse draft pick. It's nuts. Yep, Vancouver is sixth last in the National Hockey League and just bought Philip Ronick at the deadline. What are you doing, man? What the fuck? Are you kidding me? What a joke. Mm-hmm. They're only four points ahead of Arizona. <laughs> what do you, what, what? 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 Is it idiots market? Uh, no, smart person's market. It's not Vancouver. Yes. It hasn't been in Vancouver in a decade. Uh, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Nick Benino, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> Don't move over to the Penguins. Sure. And speaking sure. of JT Miller, almost going to the Penguins. Pittsburgh. I noticed a funny trend with them recently, which I get around the time that Hextall came there, which is that they don't seem to be particular particularly shy to trade pieces off their roster at the trade deadline. Um, when they got Raquel, was it last year that they got Raquel or the year before? Do you remember? 
No, I don't. Either way, whenever they got Raquel, they traded Zach Aston Reese and one other, it might have been Dominic Simone off the roster as part of it. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's, you know, I guess I guess the trade's fine. But interesting, though, that you'd be so, yeah, we'll trade these four liners away. They've done it similar similarly this year. They traded away Teddy Bluger and only got like a draft pick and a, a nothing player um, to clear space. And traded away Brock McGinn in the Kulikov trade to clear space to bring in Dmitry Kulikov and to bring in Nick Benino and to bring in uh, the biggest fish of them all, Michael Granlund, uh, which, who I believe they gave a second round pick for. Michael Granlund is 31 years old. Uh, he is signed for two more years after this at 5 million AAV. Uh, this year with the Nashville Predators, he has scored nine goals in 58 games and 27 assists. So he seems to be having a, in the process of a very sharp decline. Um, and Pittsburgh said, that's our guy. Ah, man. Ron Hextall's a moron. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> you're clearing out roster pieces. Nice pieces like Teddy Bluger. You know, Brock McGinn. You're clearing out cap space for this fucking albatross of a contract. On Nashville's side, what a move. You know, David Paul's on fire right now. Uh, as maybe, really you know, is. the prospect of retirement has really rejuvenated this man. And, you know, I say rejuvenate as if he was great at a certain point earlier in his career. But no, I, I should say he has just really <laughs> elevated this guy to a different level that he previously has never achieved. Um, Because Michael Granlund at this point, with his contract, is an albatross. He's a straight up, should be a cap dump. You should be paying a second round pick. To get- <laughs> Sorry, to get your hands off of Michael Granlund, and yet he somehow managed to get a second round pick for him this year. Nuts. Just crazy. What a haul to find that target, to find that mark in Ron Hextall, and to get that asset from him. Just great work. Great work from David Poyle. Um, but yeah, as for as for uh Pittsburgh, you know, you had all this cap space, you had the assets, you want to go all in. Um, and you know, all the teams around you, you're A, you're in a playoff, you know, you're in a dogfight for one of those two wildcard spots. But also, everybody around you in terms of the teams above you in the conference are loading up. And so what the fuck do you do? You get this declining asset for a guy who stinks, who's going to tank your cap for the next three years, and who just isn't a very good addition, doesn't really move the needle at all, even for this year. Uh, so, you know, yeah, people are talking about how, you know, with this trade, the contending window is done for Pittsburgh. All hope is lost, and I completely agree. <laughs> um, all the teams in the East <laughs> loaded up, and you did shit all, and you just you acquired a liability, and you gave up futures for it. That is insane. And it is the one of the stupid things that I've seen in this deadline. I'd say Nashville, at least as far as sellers go, has to be the the winner of the deadline. Yeah, they you got you know the the A the A plus plus on Tanner Janot, very very solid return on Matthias Ekholm, and you even got something from Michael Granlund. And those latter Ekholm and Granlund aren't even rentals, so no one was even probably really expecting you to to trade them. Uh, and now, actually, I would say especially with Philip Forsberg is currently day-to-day. Ryan Johansson is out long-term. Um, so looking at the makeup of their forwards without those two players, they really rival Chicago in terms of quality. <laughs> um, because once you look beyond Matt Duchesne, uh, he is accompanied on the first line with Cody Glass and John Leonard. And the second line consists <laughs> oh, of Kiefer Sherwood, Thomas Novak, and Luke Evangelista as of 17 hours ago. Um, so... It is dire times when you look at it that way in Nashville, and yet they are ninth in the Western Conference. Oh, well, that's that's lovely. Um, you know, I think about it more, and maybe the fact that David Poyle is retiring means he doesn't have to deal with a shit roster means he feels more liberated. 
<laughs> to trade these pieces off because he doesn't feel as though he's he's going to need to contend to save his job, you know, moving forward. And I was like, okay, I'm done. You know what? Turns out these pieces weren't very good. And uh, let's let's just, he feels fine with selling them off and being finally for once a bona fide bad team in Nashville to finally rebuild. Um, that That is now my hypothesis that David Poyle doesn't have to deal with this team anymore. So he doesn't mind selling them off. That's interesting because I had, you know, obviously the first instinct would probably be like, oh, I'm about to retire. We got to go for it. You know, we got to sell the farm. I want to make a run at a Stanley Cup, uh, which especially for a team like Nashville would have been an idiotic thing to do and a very selfish thing to do. Um, And there's this kind of impression that, yeah, for my final push, I'm going to sell off these pieces and set the team up well for the future as this very kind of, you know, noble act or whatever. Um, so I hadn't really considered that perspective, which is, he's, yes, finally, I'm free to start a rebuild, something I've wanted to do this whole time. Um, and it kind of, you know, if that is true, it's a major indictment on Predator's ownership uh, that they never appear to have greenlit a full Nashville teardown, yeah. which David Poyle maybe would have thought was a good idea for these past few years. Like, think about it, though. Like, it, it, like I, I can't help but draw that that correlation, right, between Nashville finally rebuilding kind of out of nowhere, right, and fucking David Boyle announcing his retirement. Like, it's all happened in a span of two weeks. And prior to that, Nashville was always that team that was, you know, you know, extending fucking Matias at home and buying when they shouldn't. And all of a sudden, you know, he sells everything at the, 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 the same month that he announces that he's retiring. I can't help but draw the lines, you know? Yeah, that maybe. So has David Poyle actually been a bad GM, or has he just been, you know, trying to keep his job this whole time? <laughs> that if he, you know, you have to ask the question at this point. Now that he's finally free from the burden of employment, can he say, "Wow, for these next few months, I can actually do my job to the best of my ability"? And now he's deadline winner. Yeah, you you really do have to ask that question, um, which is you know extremely funny. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, maybe he feels benevolent considering you know fucking Barry Trotz is his friend. He already knows the successor. You know, they have a long history together. So that makes... Yeah, maybe wants to set him, him up well for the future. Yeah, exactly. More amenable to helping the guy out. Um, but also, you know, just the fact that he's no longer restrained, he's actually making these smart moves is uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, another team that acquired a defenseman uh, is the Carolina Hurricanes. Their big deals of deadline period were Jesse Pugliarvi and Shane Gostisbehere. We talked about Pugliarvi last time. Gosh, despair. I've not talked about yet. These two, they feel like extremely Carolina Hurricanes type of players, which is something many have pointed out. Gosh, despair. Um, uh, an interesting fit, I would say. He's not going to, you know, take the top offensive minutes away from someone like Brent Burns. But I, you imagine he'll get onto that second power play unit, play some sheltered minutes on that bottom pairing. I think Carolina is a place where he could uh, he could flourish. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this guy's a defensive liability, but you know, Carolina show they have a really good system in place. Um, they can shelter you properly. You know, see Tony D'Angelo, right, is the other example of you know of an offensive guy who had major defensive liabilities, but Carolina was able to cover him up. And lo behold, when he moves to Philly, he's awful again. Uh, but you know, I can see it working out for Shane Gostisbehere. You know, it's a, it's solid defensive depth for Carolina. You just wonder though, because you know they missed out on Meyer. It seems like they were in in on that uh, until maybe near the end. Um, you know, it's just Gosses Bear and Pully RV for a team as good as it has been, uh, you know, sitting at top of the Metro. Should they have maybe done more? 
Yeah, I mean, some were calling the Hurricanes like a loser of the deadline. I would not go that far. Yeah, it's um, yeah, but you know, you look at their roster. You look at how much the other teams in the East improved the other top teams, and he's kind of like, oh, Kotkaniemi still their second line center. I don't know about that. Um, there are you know some question marks here and there on the roster, and at this point, I would probably pick the Devils to come out of the Metro. Yeah, I like that with with Meyer. Absolutely, I can I can absolutely see that. Um, Especially because Luke Hughes will be joining them. Mm, that's true. That's look. I was considered strongly considering when as soon as they acquired Meyer, that was for the cup. At this point, it feels maybe a bit too bandwagon. So I don't know. I'll still have to think on it. Undecided, but the Devils do look really good, and I also my preferred team in the Metro. Um, yeah. So another team that acquired a defenseman. Is the Los Angeles Kings, uh, who uh, oh, wow. got the coveted Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Garbasalo, uh for Jonathan Quick, a first round pick that could become two seconds if you know the Kings miss the playoffs, which very well might happen, and uh, and a third round pick all to Columbus. It's not happening. It, 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 the yeah. the eight in the West are seem very locked in at this point. I'd be surprised if it changed. Okay. Um, Right now, Nashville is closer than Calgary to catching any of those teams, uh, to catching like the Jets, who are who are last in the among those eight playoff teams. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. On one hand, you we all kind of had the impression that the Gavrikov deal was going to be you know kind of this big story. Oh, who gave up the big package for Gavrikov, and we we're all going to dunk on them. But no one seemed to really notice Vladislav Gavrikov was involved because. Jonathan Quick is the biggest name in this trade by far, and he was going back the other way. And the big story was the Kings did their franchise legend dirty. Yeah, apparently he was upset. You know, maybe not even going to report to Columbus, and so they fucking flipped him to to, to Vegas right after the next day. Um, yeah, so you know, on the quick side of things, did they do him dirty? Ah. I I struggled to sympathize with the motherfucker. All right, like, well, what do you want? All right, you you stink. At the end of your your deal, your team wants to compete. Now, granted, maybe not the best move in terms of acquiring Vladislav Gavrikov and even Corpusalo, but you know, did they do him dirty? Do you think they did him dirty? Because I struggle to really kind of get up in arms about this. All right, what I'll say first of all, I do think on the whole, the Kings. I think this is a good trade for the Kings. Really, and I mostly, but mostly because yeah. Corpusalo is a massive upgrade over Quick. And going into the playoffs to have a Corpusello Copley tandem, I'm much more comfortable with that than a Copley Quick tandem. Um, goaltending was their biggest question mark, and they made a definite improvement. Uh, and then you know you add Gavrikov to the team, whatever. Both of those upgrades combined, I think, yeah, that's more or less worth a first round pick. Um, I don't hate it. I do think what they did wrong, and where I will, where I see what people are saying about the oh, I did quick dirty thing is that it seems that there was no kind of warning. And it was very much like, hi, you're traded now to Columbus. And I think I think what often kind of, you know, eases these surprises is to maybe let someone know you're going to trade them ahead of time or that it's a possibility. Uh, and, I mean, if they're mad about it, you kind of got to go too bad, suck it up, because, you know, we're running an operation here and trying to win the Stanley Cup. Um, so really, the more personal side of things, I think, you know, sounds like it could have been handled better. 
But the other thing that has been kind of floated is, you know, GMs are always, you know, considering, oh, how a deal is going to affect the locker room. And Jonathan Quick being this franchise hero that everybody loves on the team. Uh, it's been floated that, you know, there is a risk involved that the Kings locker room uh, is going to take a very badly to this and it will affect the on-ice performance. Yeah, I saw that they were they were grumpy and shit, right? The locker room was grumpy. They thought they did, they they thought that they did him dirty. Which yeah, you know what? You put it like that, maybe the organization may have like you know ghosted him in a respect, not telling him just gonna ship him off to Columbus. So yeah, I see it in in that sense. Um, but you know, it, so on a human side, I, I get why maybe his teammates would be mad. Uh, but uh, I, I'm gonna talk about the overall for for Los Angeles. Not only, you know, maybe you screw up your locker room, but is Jonas Corpusalo really that good? I was like, is he really that big of an upgrade? Like, he's having a good season. I will hand him that. Yes. But, like, look at look at him. What, what was his save percentage last year? Fucking 877. The year before, 894. And now this year, he happens to have a 913 over, like, 28 games. And all of a sudden, he's this big upgrade. Now, it's not that Quick was having a great season either. He's awful. But... I don't know. You're putting faith in Jonas fucking Corpusalo and Phoenix Copley heading into the playoffs. I, you know, the the thing with me is I I see this as like you know it's okay, fine, it's an upgrade. Um, you know, with Gavrikov too, but you look at the price they paid, a first and a third, and it just feels like they should have just taken that extra step to try to get Chicken and fucking Vamelka. You know, and and I feel like that would have been so much better. It would have been so much more of an upgrade. Compared to Corpusello and Gavrikov, um, that this is this is why I'm like I, I don't love the trade for for Los Angeles. Let alone you know giving up a first round pick for you know two like mid fucking players. Um, but you're already willing to give up those assets. Maybe you don't want to give up Brand Clark, whatever. But there was so much like you consider that Ottawa only had to give up a first and two seconds for Chikrin. Like what was the price for Chikrin and Vimalka? And now you're addressing those same two needs, but with significantly better players. I agree with you that they should have gunned for Chikrin instead of Gavrikov. Corpusalo this year has better numbers than Vimelka on a worse team, though. I think you're you're underestimating how big of a bounce back he's had. Okay, maybe, but I, you know, is this like a flash? It's not like he's playing a whole bunch of games. Um, you know, he's playing. He's, he's on like half a, the season. Twenty. He's on a timeshare. Yeah, he's not like the starter. He's like he's he's been good playing half the time in Columbus. Yeah, nine thirteen on Columbus is impressive. You know, I'll give you that, but. You know, I don't trust it, is what I'm saying. It's 28 games. It's not like, it's not a history of sustained competence, which I would say Vimelka has more than Corpusella. Okay. Okay, sure. Corpusella also has that playoff track record. Oh, my God. Against, oh, Give me a break. Yeah, you <laughs> can't discount that. No, you can't. I guess, you know, one thing to note about my previous point about, oh, is the locker room going to hate it or whatever, is that honestly, I know you. I know you've never Kopitar and Jonathan Quick and Drew Doughty. They're all good friends or whatever. But if like if the leadership of my team, which Kopitar and Doughty are, uh, can't move along after a trade and kind of regroup forces and still make a good run at things, if it really impacts the play that much, uh, then that wasn't such a strong leadership to begin with. So, you know, this it would be kind of revealing in a sense. Um, so you know, I I don't really think that my previous point is viable upon reflecting more okay yeah i you know i was gonna say so i was gonna say boo fucking who to your point but then I, you know i was like 
maybe that's too harsh. Maybe that's too harsh on that on on the Kings locker room. But you know what? You're right. They they should be able to handle this loss. After all, he was a bad goaltender, um, at least this season. Um, and he was the backup. He just with a big cap hit. You know, it was it was bound to happen eventually. They could have Kings could have handled it better, but this shouldn't upend the locker room. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And Vegas decided to acquire this guy while Logan Thompson is injured to back up Aiden Hill, meaning meaning that come playoff time, Jonathan Quick is going to be at best Vegas's third stringer, depending on what you think of Laurent Brassois. Yeah, sure. That's uh, that sounds fine for Vegas. I mean, at this point, he's just a dude, and maybe you know, if everything goes to shit, an injury, someone's playing poorly. You see if maybe he's got, you know, playoff Jonathan Quick. But uh, they gave up, like, what? Michael Hutchison in the seventh, so, you know, that's fine. They gave up a seventh. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yep. All right. Um, What next? What next? Uh, Let's slide on over to the Bruins and the Red Wings because this was Boston's, besides Orlov and Hathaway that we talked about last time, and Orlov has been incredible uh, for the past week or so. They made another big addition to the team, Tyler Bertuzzi. From the Red Wings. Red Wings uh, in sell mode. You know, Ronick goes away. Bertuzzi goes away. Uh, and, you know, my first thought, kind of tongue-in-cheek, was that uh, I am no longer picking the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup because Bertuzzi's going to bring the bad anti-vax vibes. Um, and, you know, I might stand by that. We'll see. Um, <laughs> what, what's your what's your thought about this deal? And also, let's acknowledge the fact that they are LTIRing Taylor Hall for the rest of the year to squeeze this all in, just yeah. as any smart team should. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, if, if Hall comes back, if he does, like talking about like Tyler Bertuzzi and Taylor Hall playing on like the third line, which is kind of nuts uh, for a team to have. I mean, look, Bertuzzi. Yeah, he's a terrible person, just a real shithead. Clearly, um, but you know, yeah, top six forward. Uh, you can't really deny that. Um, so. You know, it's yet somehow Boston getting another upgrade, adding another, you know, bona fide second line winger maybe uh, to the lineup. But he's not going to be playing in that role because they're so stacked. Uh, the return, very fair for a player of Bertuzzi's caliber. It feels like, you know, a first round pick, a fourth round pick. That's that's pretty that's pretty even. And if you're Detroit, good on you uh, because you get a nice return. Yeah, first of all, hit the Tyler Bertuzzi vibes are out of your locker room. That's a bonus. Um, but also, you know, he's a UFA. It's good that they're willing to sell the guy and get a you know a first next year. You know, it's a 2024 first. I granted it's top 10 protected, but you know, Boston with everybody leaving, maybe this will be significantly worse. Maybe that that pick won't be half bad because uh, in 2024. Um, so yeah, and and as for Bertuzzi, yeah. not having the great season, but be fair to him, the supporting cast has been bad. He's been unlucky with the shooting percentage, so it should get better with Boston. Yeah, what we may end up seeing in the playoffs, because I've been talking like, oh, I still feel like they could use some more forward depth. And, of course, the best way to add forward depth is to add, you know, higher-end forwards and sliding your players down the lineup. Because now, you know, you've got Marshan, Bergeron, DeBrusque. You're probably going to keep that line together. Then Pasternak with Krejci and maybe Bertuzzi. Then you end up with a third line of, like, Taylor Hall, Pavel Zaka, Charlie Coyle. You know, that's quite the top nine. No weaknesses can be detected there. And then it's, you know, the amalgamation of uh, Nick Foligno, Garnet Hathaway, Thomas Nosek, Trent Frederick, A.J. Greer, these types of players filling in your fourth line. Yeah, that's crazy. And then you consider, the, you know, the addition of Orlov on the defense. Looks great. 
literally have a Vesna goaltender in net. What's what, where's the hole? Yeah, where is the hole? Weaknesses nowhere to be found at this point on the Bruins. Yeah, just just an insane roster construction. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember the last time. You know, maybe Colorado rivals that, but there really aren't that many times where you can say this roster is stacked really from head to toe, and you can't really point out any holes. Um, so yeah, looking at a really fucking good team. Tampa recently, I think you could make that case. Yeah, I I don't remember enough of their roster makeup, but back then when they won those cups, but I believe it. But you know, Boston yeah. seems to be. I mean, they did win the cup, so. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Bruins also on that very same day extended David Pasternak. Sadly, we don't get to see him go to the market, sign with Ottawa, but that's okay. Uh, he signed eight by eleven point two five. Um, and you know, I think that is this is a uh, perfectly reasonable for someone who has a case to be the best winger in the league. Yeah. Uh, I am pulling up the, you know, comparables, which I did not have at this point. Um, but $11.5 million for eight years seems like a bargain. You know, I'm willing to say... 11 to 5 Oh, okay. So even less. Um, for, you know, with the cap allegedly going up in the future um, and the quality of player that Pasternak is, this this seems more than reasonable. This seems like, you know, they pass on after certainly could have pushed for more. Um, so you know, yet again, Boston seemingly signing some guy at below market rate. What I would say, because you know, you pay this guy fourteen million dollars. I mean, no team's gonna do it because nobody has a cap space. But I sure shit would. Yeah, I mean, if he hits the open market, he can become the highest paid player in the league for sure. Um, so this is a little bit of a hometown discount, you know. You're kind of expecting to get blown away by a number for a player of this caliber, eleven point two five. The fact that you're kind of nod- nodding along, going that makes sense, kind of shows that the Bruins uh, did a good job with this one. Um, and on the other side of the Bertuzzi trade, we have Dylan Larkin's extension, um, eight by eight point seven. Uh, yeah, I'm honestly, yeah, the deal, you know. I mean, if they if he had walked away, that would have been kind of a disaster for a team that's hoping to contend. And I don't think this deal is crazy. Uh, it's clearly, you know, first-line center money, not star first-line center money. So I think that's, you know, about how, as good as Larkin is. I don't know if you saw this, though, because this was signed the day before the Bertuzzi trade. And I think, I guess Larkin and Bertuzzi were, like, super good friends or something. And Larkin was, like... Very sad, tearing up that his friend was off to off to the Bruins. Aw, so sad. Boo hoo. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> you you got you got a shit bag outside. He's leaving your inner circle, Dylan. You can cheer up a little. Um, yeah, that's on his contract. That's reasonable. I have honestly no comments. You know, it's it's perfectly fine. It's not a bargain. It's not a total overpayment. You know, he's their guy, and they want to compete. So sure, that's okay. Yep. Uh, let's run through some more small deals uh, and share our thoughts quickly. Uh, we already I mentioned Max Domi went to Dallas, so we didn't really talk about it. How do you feel about that as in addition to the stars? Yeah, I mean, it's... First of all, I did not know... Like, I forgot about Anton Hudobin. I thought he had fully retired. And so to see him, part of this trade, was, was kind of like, well, okay, he's still at it. And I went on his DB page, and he's like, fully playing in the AHL. You know? Like, it's not like yes. he's LTIR. This guy's fully in the age and i respect the grind because he's making like what three million dollars or something <laughs> like that and like this guy's showing up playing these ahl games he's like 36 or whatever um and he's making three million dollars um and so i completely respect that um 
as for the stars, eh, it's a decent addition. Um, you know, in the, in the, in this wide open West, you add some scoring depth to your middle six for a guy who's been able to produce, but you know, obviously awful defensively. Um, but you know, maybe maybe their structure can kind of paper over those issues. Uh, so yeah, seems okay. Second round pick seems reasonable, and you get the Hudobin contract off your books. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's on. Uh, I don't know if he's quite on a career pace. Of it's insane his first year in Montreal. He had 72 points and 28 goals, and he's only broken 51 other time in his career. He's about to do it this year, so that would make it two other times. But that was a crazy anomaly season. Um, can you name all the teams Max Domi has played for in the NHL? No. <laughs> uh, I know he's. I, I don't know if I can, but I know he's been on like four in the last four years, right? Like that's his. That's his bitch. Should, should I try as a service trivia of the day? Yes, go for it. Name them. Okay. All right. Uh, so obviously, you know, Arizona is playing for Dallas now. Montreal. You've got Columbus. Um, yep. Chicago that he was just on. Yep. And then uh, the last one. Is there is there one more? Two more? There's Car- one more. There's Carolina, right? Yes. Well okay. done. You Thank got you. them all. Yeah. He has played for three of the five teams whose cities start with a C or whose places do. <laughs> I've just got to get around to Colorado and Calgary. And he will have okay. got through all of them. There we go. Um, sure next one, cool. Lars Eller, off to Colorado. What did we What did we think about this Lars Eller for a second rounder? Yeah, so I on Washington. I don't think like we talked about. You know, obviously our love and Hathaway last week. Um, but they, you know, shout out to Brian McClellan. McClellan, right? He's the guy out there. Really, you know, like they're they're in the playoff race, kind of. Well, maybe not anymore. But he's he said, you know, fuck it, we're done here. It's not happening. I'm going to sell a whole bunch of my UFAs. So I think over the deadline, they've done five of them, right? So Orlov Hathaway, uh, Eller here, and then, you know, other Gustafson to Toronto, and then Marcus Johansson to Minnesota. Uh, that's that's a great call. You know, that's a sign of a guy who knows what the fuck is up. All right, you recognize that this team is going nowhere fast. They're not going anywhere in the playoffs. It's not worth keeping these dudes um, for, you know, to get n- knocked out, to get eaten alive by Boston, maybe, in the first round. Uh, so, you know, he sold for a whole bunch of nice futures. So shout out to him. Um, this is just yet another example that uh, a second round pick for Lars Eller, who's really, you know, hit that aging curve, has kind of regressed. No longer the guy he was when they won the cup. Um, good work. Good work. Um, and for Colorado, underwhelming. You know, Nick, Lars Eller is Lars Eller. He's fine. He's okay for depth. But it's really all they did, uh, aside from adding Jack Johnson. And, you know, with the West as open as it was, maybe they should have done more. Yeah, my dark horse exciting pick of the deadline was that Colorado was going to get Nick Schmaltz. Mm. I really thought that was some, that was going to happen. Because uh, first of all, it seemed like Schmaltz talk was kind of you know getting a little louder in the days leading up to the deadline. Of course, nothing ended up happening, and that plus the fact that Colorado has that gaping hole at second line center left by Nazem Kadri that's been kind of filled by committee by you know JT Comfer here, uh, Alex Newhook there, you know that type of thing. I was like Nick Schmaltz is exactly what they need ended up not happening and they get Lars Eller who yeah at this point age 33 I'd call him a a fourth line center that's weird Eller is like it's very strange to me that he's 33 because in my mind he's always going to be young yep totally is his face gives 26 vibes forever eternally (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh yeah he's he's frozen in time at the moment Montreal traded him to Washington Right. You know, and the thing is, I completely forget about Lars Eller for long stretches of my life. You know, and then all of a sudden he's traded the trade down. I was like, oh, that's right. 
Oh, he's not 26 yeah, anymore? That's crazy. Okay, good for him. But yeah, mm-hmm. maybe he'll win a cup again. Uh, yeah, so the other trade Washington made um, that I mentioned, Marcus Johansson uh, to the Wild. The Wild themselves, you know, that was a third-round pick to Washington for Marcus Johansson. They also acquired, you know, Gustav Nyquist from the Blue Jackets for a fifth-round pick. So some forward depth for Minnesota with Johansson. You know, he was with them like a couple years ago, right? So, you know, maybe you're familiar with him. I mean, but yet again, like Colorado, still feels underwhelming. I mean, these are like two depth guys who won't really move the needle. And, you know, for, for a team that, that you know, it seems like they're kind of sitting on the fence when the West is so wide open, you kind of wish they had done more. Uh, you know, considering you know they had they had decent amounts of cap space to work with, even with those two buyouts, they were out here like. Well, they did get Klingberg. Don't forget. Oh, that's true. Forgot about that. But even then, you know, you still wish. Yeah, go for it. You know, this team is aging out. Well, maybe not aging out, but like, you know, you're you're really in flux, and this conference is so open. You maybe you take a yeah. shot at it. You know, it's weird because for to get you know Johansson and Nyquist, who I would call. Third liners, maybe you have a third for Johansson, a fifth for Nyquist, and you know, looking at you know, say for example, what was given up for Tanner Janot, uh, that those are very reasonable prices, and then you trade away Jordan Greenway, who's having a terrible season, and bring back a second and a fifth, uh, and also you add fourth liner, maybe Oscar Sundquist for a fourth. So I would say, looking at the present state of things, you traded away someone who's you know playing like a fourth liner, and bring in three other bottom six forwards. Uh, and the draft capital going your way, I would say, is more valuable than what you sent out the window. Uh, and then the John Klingberg side of things, I just don't really get it, honestly. Like, you didn't give up much of anything at all, but I just I don't really see the fit on the right side of the the, the defense. It's uh, Spurgeon, Dumba, and Kalen Addison. So the question is, like, is someone going to play on their offside? Is Klingberg going to play on the left or something? You're not going to knock Kalen Addison out of the lineup, I don't think. It just feels like like Kalen Addison, offensive defenseman. Matt Dumba, offensive defenseman. Klingberg kind of just feels extremely redundant to the makeup of the roster. Yeah, yeah, there isn't really that fit. I guess maybe they don't trust Addison as much um, and want to take off the load there. Because Klingberg, for as awful as he is defensively, he, I mean, he's terrible. You know, maybe they can work on that within the Minnesota system. And then once you take that, you know, he's, he's still half decent offensive defenseman. He can still contribute on the power play and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I, I see the kind of fit that they were kind of wanting to fill because they don't trust Addison to be that, you know, the offensive guy out in Minnesota. So, you know, you, you get Klingberg for relatively cheap. You really kind of squeeze the ducks there uh, to, uh, you know, try him out. See if it works out. See if he can contribute offensively. And you could maybe paper over his the black hole that he is defensively. Yeah, because one thing we had talked about Klingberg was like he's been so bad in Anaheim, like the worst defensive player on the worst defensive team. Who's gonna possibly want to acquire him? And apparently, this deal with Minnesota was right down to the buzzer, and it was Minnesota's like, well, who else is gonna want him but us? So you better take our offer, and that type of thing. And so I wish I remember who it was. Someone had a an interesting thought about after Taylor Hall's short stint in Buffalo was such a failure and Buffalo got almost nothing for him. Same similar thing goes on here with Klingberg. Is this the end of the, you know, UFA wanted a big deal, doesn't get one, signs a one year show me with a bad team to get flipped at the deadline trend? 
and maybe even calling it a trend is generous, but it went badly with Hall. It went badly with Klingberg. Uh, is this a bad idea in general? Well, I think for the free agents, maybe not the smartest idea. <laughs> you're, you're like yeah. willingly putting yourself in a, in a with a bad surrounding cast. Uh, you know, you, it doesn't feel like you're setting yourself up to success. Or maybe you go on a playoff run, but you know you're talking about playing like fifty so games uh, with a bad team with bad players around you. You know, I, I don't don't see the total fit there. Um, I don't see why you don't take a discount with a good team and really kind of show out. Uh, so I, I don't really understand that decision. But the bad teams uh, that get these guys kind of fall into their laps who want to play with them, well, I, I don't object to that. I mean, the, the worst thing they do is, you know, kind of fucking screw with your tank. But if they do that, if they're that good, you can get some de- a decent haul for them. Uh, so, you know, there's that. And and on Klingberg, you know, you look at the roster. Now, look, he's already slotted into the lineup for Kalen Addison. He's on the first power play. So it's clear Minnesota, rightfully or not, they didn't trust Kalen Addison anymore. Uh, given his results this season, Ooh. so Klingberg's kind of taking his, his spot. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Kalen Addison has uh, more points this season than Klingberg and higher points per game, which I know is you know just one thing. And also Klingberg was on the Ducks, but if that's you know the offensive defense and role, Kalen Addison was coming along nicely. So I don't like this. I don't yeah. like that. Um, and yeah, as you say, kind of like for the bad teams signing the one-year players. It's like the worst that can happen is they're really, really bad and you and you don't get that much. But like the Ducks, sure they only got a fourth round pick and like, you know, some some tiny pieces. But if you hadn't signed Klingberg, you wouldn't have that fourth rounder. So you got yourself a pre fourth rounder. Yeah. Co- well, cost, you know, almost almost seven million bucks, but yeah. for free is is you know, the owner would disagree, I guess. Uh but yeah. Yeah, you know, asset wise, sure. You know, there's there you weren't doing anything else with that cap space anyways. Um yeah, so on that, you mentioned that Greenway trade that they made with Buffalo. That's that's that was really Buffalo's only addition, I think. Um, for a second and a fifth, they got Jordan Greenway. Uh, that is, it, it it feels like an overpay for Buffalo. Like they, you know, clearly they they value his defensive acumen. On Buffalo, you know, still having some trouble there in that respect. But you know, a second and a fifth for this guy who you know what he has like seven points feels like an overpayment, yep. even if. The, the the goal isn't maybe the offensive production. Yeah, this trade uh, was not good for Buffalo, I don't think. Jordan Greenway has been very, very bad this year. And they gave up Erasmus Asplund and only got a seventh rounder back. And honestly, I would argue Asplund and Greenway are quite similar in terms of quality of players. Um, and Greenway is more expensive. So, I mean, this just really seems like a, a net negative day for Buffalo, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, the fact that, I mean, they should have been in on Corpusalo, I think. They should have been in on Vimelka. Because they are, they are sitting in a playoff spot right now by points percentage. And they're a big, you know, deadline go for it. They got Riley Stillman, which we didn't really talk about last week, for one of their prospects who's in junior. And yeah, they just shipped out Rasmus Asplund to bring in Jordan Green, Greenway. So they barely improved, if at all. And their goaltending is still Craig Anderson carrying the heavy load on his back at age 41. Oh boy, man. Um, okay, so that's well. You know what? I I understand maybe not going for it because you're gonna get run over, maybe roadkill by the time April shows around, and you have to play probably Boston uh, if you stick around in eighth, if not Carolina. Um, but acquiring Jordan Greenway, you are buying. It's just you're. It seems like you're not buying anything too worthwhile, and you're paying too much for it. So you know, yeah, don't love it. Don't love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, last deal I want to mention, 
Um, the LA Kings uh, trade Brendan Lemieux and a fifth round pick to the Philadelphia Flyers for Zach McEwen. How the mighty have fallen that in a Brendan Lemieux for Zach McEwen trade, the pick is alongside <laughs> Brendan Lemieux. Um, but you know, it it makes sense. It's hard to argue with it because I believe Brendan Lemieux is actually yeah a pending UFA, and Zach McEwen is the pending RFA. So the Flyers, you know, really you know they got a draft pick. So as a rebuilding team, you don't mind that you're able to somehow spin Zach McEwen into a draft pick. And I think a part of it is that you're taking Brendan Lemieux off their hands, who is not only a known shithead, but making <laughs> $1.35 million, um, against the Cab this year. And, of course, you know, he's uh, reunited with his good old pal, Tony D'Angelo. I don't know if, yeah, I guess if you didn't see any of the JVR stuff that I mentioned off the top, you probably didn't see this joke that somebody made that, uh, that uh, the Flyers backed out of the JVR deal when they realized the return wasn't racist enough. <laughs> it's good. It's a good bit. I like it. Um, yeah. No, I have no other comments on this trade. Um, good for the Kings for offloading that guy. Uh, the one trade I wanted to mention, Jakob Vrana, off to the Blues yes. from Detroit for fucking Dylan McLaughlin and a 2027th uh, round pick. So clearly... For Detroit, you know, it's about getting this, the cap hit off the books. They're done. They've given up on Jakob Rana. But for the Blues, you know, rebuilding team, not much talent on the roster anymore in terms of, you know, taking up the playing time. There's an interesting gamble because, yeah, you know, Rana's had his injury struggles. You know, yeah, you went to the player assistance program. But when he is healthy, when he's on the ice, he can really fucking score a bunch of goals. Uh, he's really good at that. And so certainly for free at 50% retention, only paid $2.6 million. That is a very solid flyer to take if you're the Blues. Yeah, kind of similar to, to Kapanen. It's been the theme of their deadline a little bit. You know, they sold O'Reilly, sold Tarasenko, got the picks. They're taking a flyer on Kapanen and waivers, taking a flyer on Verana, giving up almost nothing to do it. And, of course, you know, we don't know all the details with the player assistant program or anything, but it seems like for one reason or another, Detroit came to see this player as a liability to the point where they were willing to retain half of the salary for this year and next, uh, just to get him off, well, half off the books and to get pretty much nothing in return. Yeah. Um, maybe they're just desperate for cap space. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, it's unfortunate uh, that he's, you know, because he's, otherwise he's a very good player. Yep. Um, all right. So, We've gone through pretty much all the big stuff. And because of that, we didn't have a, a guess who this week or any fun little activity because we knew there'd be much to cover. But I think uh, we can now, that the deadline has come and gone, do a quick little standings checkup. Uh, what do you What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. I'll put it up. All right. Let's start in the mighty Eastern Conference where the Boston Bruins are on a 10-game winning streak. What's old is new again. They are 49-8-5. and five. They have still yet to hit double digits in the regulation loss column with 20 games left to go in the season. They're at 103 points. Um, I'm going to look up now what their pace is. Yeah, go for it. This is crazy, man. This team's there. I mean, obviously, we talked about the roster. It's golden throughout. So, you know, 10-game winning streak, no big deal. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they hit triple digits points before they hit double digits losses, uh, which is nuts. Wow. Uh, crazy 
Yep. They're on pace for 136 points. Almost as many as McDavid. Uh, <laughs> and as far as wins, they're on pace for 65, which would uh, break the cap era record of 62. So they're on pace to do so relatively comfortably. Um, yeah, and what's insane is that no one, no one saw this coming going into the year. There were some people predicting they would fall out of the playoffs altogether and miss it. So, yeah, I mean, if the time isn't now for the Bruins, it's never to win that cup. Stay tuned for our playoff preview in a month and a bit uh, to see what, what I think is going to happen. Yeah, um, we shall see. Uh, I know you've been teasing, well, maybe you're going to go with Boston, you know, uh, and we'll see if you follow through. Uh, all right. Uh, otherwise, I'm just I'm looking at the Eastern Conference standing as a whole. I'm not going division by division. Should we go division by division? Whatever you like. All right. Let's. I feel like it's it's the division races are all kind of locked in anyways. It's more relevant to look at conference wise. Eh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not much to say on the other six teams and really kind of rounding out the top six. They're all kind of like locked in. They've all taken you know a step above like Pittsburgh, Buffalo, New York, uh, the Islanders. Um, so you know Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto, Tampa Bay, the Rangers. It seems like you know the matchups have been more or less decided. We're going to see Carolina at the top playing that wildcard team. We're going to have New Jersey and the Rangers playing against each other. And the Lightning and the Maple Leafs uh, off in the first round. Don't think there's anything else to add there with respect to those teams. I'll add something. Go for it. Looking closely, it's, does it, it's not a foregone conclusion that Carolina is finishing first in the Metro. New Jersey, they've played one more game than Carolina, but are only two points back. So a little bit of a heater for the Devils and a little bit of a cool-off for the Hurricanes. And all of a sudden, the Devils are in position to play someone like Pittsburgh in the first round, and the Hurricanes are are stuck playing New York. Oh man! Do <laughs> you imagine another first round exit for Carolina? That would be something else. You know, underrated, a consistent playoff disappointment. Carolina Hurricanes always. I mean, it's not like they're they they've blown it. It's just they're always you know they go up against a good team, and they met you know they they always find a way to lose. Uh, but. Yeah, and New Jersey hasn't even had Timo Meyer player yet. I would know. I've seen him languishing on my IR in fantasy. Um, so, you know, that boost is yet to kick in. So, yeah, maybe even sunny horizons for the Devils. And the Luke Hughes boost coming up in the not-too-distant future. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and if we look at the wildcard race, this is where things have really kind of tightened up since we last did a check-in. Um, yeah, how many teams are kind of, I mean... Yeah, in it, so to speak, there's a whole bunch. You know, up to seven, if you're feeling generous. Um, if you're feeling I, really generous. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say so. But, you know, there's, you know, currently, if you look at points percentage, Pittsburgh's in that first wildcard spot. You got Buffalo uh, right after. The Islanders are are close behind. Then the Sens. Now, and then you take another jump. Now you're looking at Florida, Washington, Detroit. Although, you know, not looking too likely, but you never know. You know, the, we were looking at this. As if Ottawa's dead already, and all of a sudden, you know, they're sitting in 10th place. So, yeah, to, to kind of get into the, to, yeah, so to kind of get into the details here, Pittsburgh looks like they're the safest, not safe by any means, uh, but they've got 71 points in 62 games. And then we, we have an extremely uh, tight race right now between the Islanders and the Sabres. And there is disparity in the games played, which, you know, adds some intrigue. The Islanders, 72 points in 65 games. Buffalo, 68 points in 61 games. So say like 
in theory, of course, there are no like specific four games that count as those four games in hand. But if Buffalo, you know, goes two and two in that hypothetical allotment of games, then all of a sudden they're in perfect deadlock with the Islanders. So, at po- in terms of points percentage, they're five fifty seven compared to the Islanders five fifty four. They're basically tied for that second wild card spot as it stands. Um, I am rooting very mightily for the Buffalo Sabres in this one. Oh yeah, no, and you know you're neglecting to mention the Ottawa Senators. You know they they are also you know within that I call it a three team block. I mean I think it's a three team race at this point. Obviously the Sens have that hard schedule, but I mean if you're you're looking at for example Ottawa and Buffalo, they have the same number of points. Ottawa just happened to win it, uh, play an extra game, um, and you know they've got three games in hand on the Islanders, four points back. So if they go two and one in a three game stretch, they're also deadlocked. Um, so you know within those three. Obviously, would love to see the Islanders fail. You know, Lou and his shitty-ass plan, giving up all that for Bo Horvat, for this bad team. Um, with like, you know, And it's not looking good, too, because I know Matt Barzal's out uh, for a little while. So it is not looking too hot for the Islanders, and I don't want to watch them in the playoffs. Much Would be much, much more entertained by Buffalo or if somehow Ottawa makes it in there. Yes. Um, I Everything you said about the Ottawa Senators is true, except for the fact that they might make the playoffs. This is going to be... This is, going to, this is my hard line. This, my, this okay. is the hill I'm going to stand on. Okay. Um, the Ottawa Senators, no way are they making the playoffs this year. It's not happening. I'm 100% okay. sure. It's right. a mirage. It's fake. It's fake. Man, this guy's speaking in strong terms. You don't buy the, the big, the vibe boost that Jacob Chikrin brings to this team? No. No, okay. it's not happening. I think their vibes are strong enough to get them to ninth in the East. No higher than that. <laughs> All right, that's you know that's fair. I'm not saying it's likely Ottawa makes it to the playoffs. I'm saying it's possible, and you seemingly strongly disagree with that. It's impossible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, DJ Smith, if you're listening, put this in the locker room for motivation. Put it on your billboard. I don't care. It's not gonna work. Team's not good enough. <laughs> this is the Bolton board material. He doesn't buy into this five-game win streak. He is all right. Nope. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna stick with my preseason prediction. I say, you know, I'm gonna say Buffalo and Ottawa make it. How about that? I say Pittsburgh. You know, fucking underwhelming deadline. The vibes aren't good. And now, granted, I'm counting on two teams whose goaltending are terrible. Uh, obviously, Craig Anderson. Honestly, I don't even. I think Cam Talbot's injured in Ottawa now, so it's like the Anton Forsberg show. No, he's don't back. I think Talbot's oh, back. Okay. Well, still. Forsberg's the injured one. Okay. Remember well, he like tore both of his knees oh, or something? Oh, that's right. That's right. He, oh, yikes. Uh, completely forgot about that. Um, but don't love that. Don't love the Cam Talbot show. Tell you that. But you know what? I say it. The vibes carry them through. I'm going all vibes. Wild card. Sabres. Sends. Let's go. All right. Um, I appreciate your uh, your optimism, I guess. Yeah, Your deluded happening. optimism with yeah, regard maybe. to the Ottawa okay. Senators. I don't know about delusional. Just, just say optimistic. Because it's unlikely. Okay. But I am optimistic. Sure. Next, Western Conference. <laughs> um, we've got, you know, again, th- it seems like the group of eight is solidifying themselves. Those eight being in no particular order. Dallas, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Vegas, LA, Seattle, Edmonton, and Colorado. With Nashville, a distant ninth and Calgary, a distant 10th, and all the other teams below Batman 500. So I'm pretty comfortable saying these are our eight. 
But within those eight is where there's a lot of, you know, interesting back and forth that could go on because no playoff matchup is really seems to be coming together, solidifying itself at all. Um, I would be most comfortable saying at this point that Dallas is going to finish tops in the central because uh, they have, you know, 81 points, 643 points percentage. And then by points percentage, we've got Minnesota and Colorado set to go head to head with Winnipeg being knocked by the avalanche into the wild card. Yeah, no, it's shit is super in flux out here in, in terms of the seating on the eight. Um, if you look at the central, yeah, uh, I, it looks like Colorado's played a whole bunch of less games. So that's why their, you know, their points percentage is a bit higher than their points. Um, but you know, look at that. Winnipeg dropped off. Who could have seen that coming? Um, looks like they're firmly out of the, not you. Yeah. Well, you know, no, I, I did say, I said they were frauds. Remember? I, I fully. You said they were going to win the cup. I don't know what you're talking about. They no, were your no, cup I pick. said I, I, they were my cup pick, and then I watched them play for a week, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm done here." Um, I ditched them. Let that let the, let that show on the record. No longer a believer in the Jets. Even that top, it seems like they've split that top line of like Ehlers, Dubois, and Connor. Not a good move. The vibes are not good in Winnipeg. Whole bunch of frauds. Um, I will yeah. say actually. Yep. Looking a little more closely at this. Nashville, six points behind the Jets with three games in hand. Can they do it? Can they pass the Jets? <laughs> no. With this, with no this Cole Smith, Luke Evangelista, Colton Sissons, John Leonard-ass team. Right. So that's that's a testament to how solid the West feels, that the closest competitor just sold everything at the deadline yeah. and is nowhere near <laughs> contending. <laughs> so, you know, I don't buy it. There's no chance. If they do, it's an embarrassment onto the Jets, who I assume would miss in this scenario. Um but yeah, and, and off to the Pacific, there's another one where it's it not totally clear in terms of uh, it, it's not settled how those how those three three teams I would say are are gonna settle out between Seattle, Four. Los Angeles, and Vancouver. You know, you save Edmonton too. Eh, maybe Eckholm's that good. Um, but yeah, still 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 tight. Nobody's really pulled away. Um, although Vegas currently has the edge. Yeah, undoubt Edmonton is of course they're still in the mix. Those point those four teams are all within four points of each other. Of course, you know, discrepancies in games played. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be so blown away if any of Edmonton, Seattle, LA, and Vegas finished anywhere from first in the division to a wild card spot. Yeah, you're right. There's the, they're, they're just so close together. And I could see any of them shitting the bed for, you know, a little bit, falling out. Yeah, that's the other part you, of it. The, yeah, the, you don't trust any of them Is at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, that's the playoff teams. Uh, looking at the non-playoff teams, we see Calgary. Uh, I think... If you looked a month ago, we were like, oh, there are like maybe nine playoff teams and eight spots. Um, who's going to be the the unlucky one? And uh, Calgary's not unlucky. They're just playing bad. Uh, lost five in a row. Not looking like it's happening. Uh, and uh, yeah, year after looking so good in the West. Out of the playoffs. Yep. Um, and Daryl Sutter is losing love every single day um, <laughs> from without. I... I oh. I should have I should have isolated I should have uh, pinned or whatever a quote because he was talking about because I guess Flames fans were booing and he basically just deflected the blame onto Jonathan Huberdeau like <laughs> off of himself I don't know if he called Huberdeau by name but that was apparently the implication many people were drawing okay. um, he seems to just he misses last year's team he misses Matthew Kachuk he misses Johnny Gaudreau and from the moment. This team acquired the likes of Huberdeau, Kadri, Mackenzie Weger, all these new guys. He decided, I don't like them no matter what. 
and I'm going to put them in a position to fail. <laughs> oh boy, that is things are not rosy in Calgary. That you know that 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 house of cards fell fast. That was, was very quick. You know, Daryl Sutter was yep. like the, the the savior out there. All of a sudden, you know, he's the little weaselly blame passer on her. Terrible. Grumpy McGrumpy Pants. No, no kidding. Huh. Who could have seen that coming? When he starts losing, he starts being a little shithead. Um, oh, well. I guess it's in his blood or character. Who knows? Yep. Um, All right. So now, final thing. Of course, you got to look at the tank race. Columbus, 46 points. Chicago, 47 points. San Jose, 48 points. Anaheim, 50 points. Arizona, 51 points. Vancouver, 55. Montreal, 56. Philly, 57. St. Louis, 59. That's how things are looking at the bottom of the league right now. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's close. It's very close. I got to say between... Honestly, there's... Yeah, it was between the last five teams, Arizona, Anaheim, San Jose, Chicago, Columbus... Any of them could take it. I mean, right now, looking like uh, in the last game, just taking a quick look at the last 10 games, San Jose is doing a really good job uh, being 2-7-1. and one. Respect it. They're gaining ground on everybody else around them. It really is. No, nobody's run away with it. And you consider everybody, all those downgrades that everybody's made, um, it's, it's looking like an interesting race for the bottom. I hope Bedard goes to Columbus. Why? Why would you even say that? Because I want Columbus to be fun. And I think they have a good up-and-coming core of youth. You know, Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, David Yerichek. They got Lina there. They got Goudreau locked in a long time. You know, if they can figure out uh, the goaltending situation and add Connor Bedard to the mix, you're looking at a team that's, you know, pushing to be a, a real true contender in the in the, in the coming years. Yeah. But then again, it's Ohio, it's Columbus. Do we think they're gonna like? There's all the potential in the world, especially if you had Bedard. Do we? Do we have faith that they will realize it? I sure shit don't. Not with this franchise. Um. So, you know, I guess the door is open. I'll tell you that. But it's not. You know, this is not the the. It's not the franchise I put my faith in. The one where everybody's running away. Uh, when the superstars finally show up, they're out after a year. Oh, uh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? It really did. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. You know, maybe, maybe it'll be different this time because they're all kind of, you know... Uh, well, it's a different thing because, like, Panarin and Bobrovsky were both traded there, you know? And there is, a, obviously, even someone who, you know, is drafted, it's, you know, they didn't really have much of a choice in the say either. But being this kind of homegrown talent all together, you know, the young core of the team... And you know you get better and better together. It's a it's a different vibe. It is okay if you say so, Mister Columbus optimist. Yeah, yeah, I'm the Ottawa optimist out here. They have a legitimate forward core, and they picked up number one defenseman. This guy's out here fighting for Columbus. I am here. a Columbus optimist if they get Bedard. <laughs> okay, but it's right. a very different thing. Sure, that's fair. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, my pick. Hmm. I think. Hmm. You know, all of these teams, they suck so hard. But, you know, I think... <laughs> yeah, go figure. I think it's the, it's the whole point. I don't know. I want to see, uh, let's say, Anaheim. Why not? You know, As long as it's not Chicago, I'll, I'll rest easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. It's, it's crazy to me, though. It, it's still, like, whenever I remember, it shocks me. Just how much of an advantage in odds for that first overall pick, the... Uh, 
the, the like the last overall team has given the, like you know it's like well, 25% they are last so no no i mean like relative to the jumps in percentages between other you know yeah and, and even in in previous drafts before this new format it was really like you know like a 1.5% jump right now it's like a 7 8% jump between first the last and second last yeah, partly because like, of the fact that there are teams that can jump up 10 spots winning that lottery, but still not climb over that last place team. Yeah, that's the exact reason why, right? Like, it, like technically, in terms of winning the lottery, it still follows a similar format as it did in the previous time. But now, you know, for that for that last overall team to get that first overall pick, you also add the cumulative odds of like 11th to 15th or 12th to yeah. 15th or 12th to 16th. I don't know what it is. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. Still shocking. So this race is all the more important. It's not just a one and a half percent boost. It's a full seven percent boost for Connor Bedard. Yeah, I know we've talked probably a disproportionate amount about the draft lottery on this show, but it really just was. It's swings in opposite directions every few years. Of oh, we shouldn't make it too easy for the for the last place team to get the uh you know the top pick, and then so there's this new format that everyone loved, and then Detroit goes, hey, we should have won more than we did. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, yeah, okay, let's revert a little closer to back how it was before. Um, just this constant back and forth of no one ever being satisfied. Yep. And unfortunate. I don't think we need to give them more airtime, but let my grievances be known. Um, all right. Is there anything else you would, you would want to add? Uh, we should pick a team for this week. We should. Have we watched Ottawa this year? Yeah, that was the team I had in mind. Um let me pull up the teams. Okay, the Ottawa Senators, the last time we watched them was February of 2022. All right, so no, we haven't. And this week, they are playing Chicago, Seattle, and Vancouver. If it's time for anyone to show your stuff, it's now. So we want to do Ottawa. Yeah, sounds good. Nice. All right, thanks for listening to this week's Fusion and Hockey podcast. We'll be back a week from today talking about the beloved senators hashtag get sensed. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast, etc., etc., and so on. You can't. You can't all right. What? What? You can't use that. You can't say get sensed if you're you're sticking your 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 sword in no sense playoffs. Too bad. Get sensed. Illegal. The end. Uh-huh.